Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yo! Welcome into the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thank you so much for hanging out here with me. It's been a minute since we've had like a nice sit down interview with someone. And I'm excited about the interview for you to hear the interview that I did with Bruce Miles. It's coming up in just a little bit. Thank you to our sponsor. Oh, we love Edrington Spirits. We love that they have jumped on board with us and that they are a part of our family. They run with Noble Oak. If you haven't picked up some Noble Oak whiskey, do yourself a favor and get some. Noble Oak whiskey and rye and bourbon, it is delicious. The weather is getting better. Maybe you're going to be entertaining outside. Step up the drinks to premium. Here's what you can do. Just go and check it out for yourself. How about that? Go check out for yourself. Noble Oak Spirits on Facebook. Or if you're on Instagram, you can just look up Noble Oak. Please. It helps us. And every time you buy a bottle of Noble Oak, you are also making it so they plant a tree. Because they're part of the One Tree Project. So that's good. So Noble Oak, they roll with us, so we would like for you to roll with them. I'm having a good time. I got a lot of uh, really nice celebratory messages and really sweet messages from folks on Twitter and Instagram about my 25th anniversary at the score. And if you, I did a whole episode on it, so you can just go look. You can listen, you can listen to it. It's really good, I think. And I try to go through, like, the history of my life at the score, which has been a majority of my life. I'm 47, and I've spent 25 years at the score. But people were super nice. This past week, and I'm trying really hard. Like, I'm very, I don't, I, I, I enjoy being honored. Like, if, if I do something, like, I'm, I'm up for an award or something like that. Like, I love that. It's hard when people are sincerely talking about what you mean to them. I usually bristle at stuff like that, but I promise myself that with the 25th anniversary, I was going to do a better job of accepting flowers. I'm always telling other people about that. I'm always saying if I give someone a compliment, for example, that they need to learn how to take the compliment. So I'm, I'm trying to follow my own advice on that. And it's been cool accepting that love from people 
and knowing that it comes from a sincere place. So big thanks to to my partner, Layla Rahimi. Big thanks to my homie, Shakia Taylor, for the nice things that she said. My homie Gabe, Gabe Ramirez, was really nice. Uh, Cam Smith, my dude, Michael Kim. I mean, it's such a long list, I, I, but I want to thank them. But I also want to thank people that aren't in the industry, the people who've been listening for forever and have been really supportive. I, I thank you sincerely for your, your love and your support. It was, it's a big deal to me, no doubt about it. So let me stop talking about me, and let me talk about this episode. I was thinking about this after I finished the interview. Bruce Miles is one of the people that I really enjoy running into and having run into when I'm out covering games. He's just a, a really good human being. And I, and I swear, like, we got off the, the Zoom, and I was like, man, I really like Bruce. Like, he's really passionate about baseball. He's also passionate about Rush. We didn't talk about that. But, and it comes through. I just dig his vibe. I, I don't know if, if he gets my vibe, because, you know, I can be a lot. But he seems to at least tolerate it. And that's a step in the right direction. But he's always been great. When I've wanted to talk to him about the Cubs or have him on the show, he's always been wonderful. And now I get a chance to do something for him. He has written a book along with Jesse Rogers. And maybe I should probably get Jesse on the podcast. There's a lot to cover with Jesse. A ton. But the two of them got together and they wrote a book. It's called The Franchise, The Chicago Cubs, A Curated History of the Northsiders. And I'm glad it's one of those things where sometimes people hit me up and they'll be like, oh, I got a book. I want to talk about my book. And then I don't get the book and I'm doing the interview kind of blind. I hate doing that. But in this case, I got a copy of the book. Bruce sent me a copy of the book and I was able to to have an idea of what it was about. It's really good. And if you're a Cubs fan, I think that you will enjoy it quite a bit. But I also think that Bruce is one of those guys, he's so understated. And, and working for the Daily Herald as long as he is, I, people up north for sure know about him, but he's kind of one of those dudes that just went to work. Just went to work every day. And I, I like him a lot. So it was great to talk to him about this. And, and I'm glad that these two guys wrote this book. It is wild to me. Like I was telling Bernstein, I was like, man, who would have ever thought Jesse would write a book? Because basically we all grew up together. So it's weird seeing all of us like as, a, as adults now. You know what I'm saying? It's very strange. But I was happy to sit down with Bruce. And this is one of those things where if you love the Cubs, man, you'll want to read these stories that these two guys shared. Their experiences with different managers and different moments inside of Cubs history and obviously a lot of talk about the Cubs winning the World Series. It is worth your time. And if you don't believe me, check out this interview that I had with Bruce Miles. That should convince you. So I got my copy of the book a couple days ago. Thank you for sending that out. 
uh, the, the name of the book, Chicago Cubs, A Curated History of the Northsiders, by yourself and our friend Jesse Rogers. What made you decide that you wanted to do a book on your experience? Well, I'll tell you, Lawrence, uh, Jesse called me about a year ago in March, about 14 months ago, and said he was working on a project and would like some help. And would I be interested? And he presented it as this book is a series of essays basically on anything we wanted to be over the history of the Cubs. And since I was a Cubs beat writer for 22 years, covering baseball for 31, and a lifelong resident of either Chicago or the Chicago area, I thought this would be a natural. So I jumped in with both feet, handled about nine chapters of topics covering almost 100 years of Cubs history. Well, see, that's the thing. That was one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, because with a history as rich as the history of the Chicago Cubs franchise is, how did you figure out like what you wanted to make sure that people read? Yeah, I wanted to. Part of the book, I guess you can say, is part memoir because I covered people like Sammy Sosa, Kerry Wood, Jim Hendry, Aramis Ramirez, Jim Riggleman, all of whom are featured in the book in one way or the other. And I was also curious about other aspects of Cubs history. I'll, I'll tell you one in particular. Gabby Hartnett's Homer in the Gloman, 1938, one of the biggest home runs in baseball history, and nobody knows anything about it. So I wanted to find out why that was, and I was able to get in contact with Gabby Hartnett's granddaughter, who told me a little bit about Gabby, the man, the person. So uh, that was part of it. And I lived through, if I didn't cover, I lived through some parts of Cubs history, like the Brock for Brolio trade and the 1969 Cubs. And I wanted to find out a little bit more about each of those subjects going beyond the obvious. So there were certainly um, all subjects that piqued my curiosity. Bruce, when it comes to the, the Cubs as a franchise and the history of the Cubs as a franchise, why do you think that it's so fascinating to people? I think it's fascinating because the Cubs were a charter member of the National League back in 1876. They had tremendous success in the early part of the 20th century, the aughts, as we call them. And then they were the lovable losers for so long. And having covered the 2016 World Series, all seven games, just the emotional release that happened when the Cubs finally won that World Series. There are so many aspects and facets of this history that, that make it so rich and, and so fascinating. And you can almost dive in at any point in Cubs history and find something like that. You're pretty lucky that the, the inside the quarter century that you're covering the Cubs, that they do break the curse, that they do win the World Series. Were there points in your time of covering the Cubs where you went, you know what, it's just not going to happen for them? Oh, yeah. After the, the little runs they had in the 2000s, 03, you know what happened there in game six of the NLCS. In 07 and 08, where the Tribune company in preparation to sell really beefed up the team to drive up its value, Jim Hendry and John McDonough and the Trib really spent wildly to make something happen, and they were swept out of both NLDSs in three games in 07 and 08. So you get to think by that point, and then they fall off again after that, you know, maybe it's not going to happen. And then, of course, Theo Epstein gets to town. That took time. 
and they get down 3-1 in the World Series, and you think, maybe it ain't going to happen. When Theo was hired, do you remember what it felt like? Yeah, it, it, it felt like this is a sea change. Uh, Tom Ricketts and the, the ownership, his family, are really serious because they're getting a guy that broke a so-called curse in Boston with a couple of world championships there. Now, I don't believe in curses, but he Theo broke a long string of futility in Boston, and maybe just maybe he could do it here. I, I thought it was a, a complete sea change that they went outside the organization. They got a proven winner, and they let him do what he wanted to do. He said what he was going to do and did it. When you saw that it was starting to move in the right direction and and you're seeing – I remember that press conference that Theo had where he was saying, look, I'm going to be able to write you guys' stuff. You're not going to see what we're doing. and You're going to be wondering if we need to speed up our winning clock, like that sort of thing. When you saw that it was working, I, I know that you weren't surprised because, look, the guy's a Hall of Famer. He's, he did it in Boston as well, did it multiple times there. When you saw that it was starting to work for the Cubs, what was the reaction that you got from readers, fans, people around the team that you talked to? A lot of the people said, see, we've been clamoring for this for years. I remember uh, early in my time on the beat, late 90s, early 2000s, people wanted the Cubs ownership and management to tear it down and build it up again. And They didn't want to do it for various reasons. Andy McPhail had always said, you can't do that in a city the size of Chicago. It's too big. People will never stand for it. Well, we found out that people did want something like that if it was explained properly and clearly and honestly with them. And when Theo got here and Jed and Jason McLeod and everybody else, they said what they were going to do and they did it. Now, there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. But I thought long about the middle of 2014, their, their final losing season when they finally traded everybody off and re- rebuilt and, and, and got made the final trade of Samarja and those guys to Oakland. I thought, okay, this is it. And then next year comes 15, and they're, quote, unquote, a year ahead of schedule. So I, I just thought the whole time was uh, it was uh, pointing in the right direction. They needed a little bit of luck, but – Something was explained to the fans, and uh, management attempted to follow through on it. Yeah, so so they win. They win the World Series. I I had the pleasure of covering the them winning the National League. I didn't get a chance to go to to Cleveland. They win the World Series. What what's the one thing, the memory that you that is most etched in your mind from that? For me. It was standing in the clubhouse. I was one of only three writers allowed in for the trophy presentation. And it was just standing there trying to soak it in. Theo Epstein told us before the series started, guys, he said, uh, stop a minute and and soak it all in and kind of remember what you're doing. Otherwise, it's going to be a blur. And that's what happens when you're covering a long postseason. A lot of things become a blur. But for me, standing in that clubhouse watching Joe Madden and and Theo receive that trophy and also in a little alcove off the main clubhouse Kerry Wood was standing there he was you know is and was part of the organization and, and just even though he wasn't a player then just the joy on his face 
to see that the team he had been with for so long and toiled with so for so long and so hard and and dealt with injuries that it happened for guys like him. So those kind of things were the, the things that stand out to me as I'll remember forever. And it also seemed like that administration was okay with like reaching back to players like Kerry Wood or Alfonso Soriano and making them feel like they're a part of this. Oh yeah. And Ryan Dempster and, and what I give Theo and, and, and Jason McLeod credit for back then was when they talked about players like Javier Baez and Wilson Contreras, they always gave credit to people like O'Neary Fleda and Jim Hendry mm-hmm. from the previous administration who brought those guys into the organization before Theo and Jed and McLeod got here. So I, I just thought, and, and here's another thing, they kept a lot of Jim Hendry's scouts. Uh, the late great Stan Zelensky was a very big favorite of Jim Hendry. He's the guy under Theo that drafted Kyle Schwarber. And again, uh, Theo gave credit to past administrations for that. So I, I think they did just about everything right that you could do in a situation like that. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. How many games do you think that you saw at Wrigley Field? Oh, my gosh. Um, You figure in the years that... uh, I covered the beat from 1998 to 2009. I had to have covered at least 125 games a year there, taking the home weekends off like the beat writers get. Um, and then, or not there, but all together, but you know, almost all of them, 60, 70 games a year at Wrigley for those 22 years, plus my weekend time before that when I was the backup writer. So it's in the thousands and, you know, going back to, you know, being a fan and having, you know, my parents take me to games. What's your favorite thing about Wrigley Field? I think my favorite thing is that it just feels like baseball and it looks a lot, despite all of the renovations, which I think are tremendous. It looks and feels and uh, smells not so much, but uh, <laughs> like it did when I was a kid. You know, you don't have the cigar smoke and that kind of stuff anymore like I did uh, you did when I was a kid. But I just think that if you look out onto the field, you see the ivy, you see the scoreboard, you know where you are in 2023, just as I did when I went to my first game there in 1962. You mentioned the renovations. Of the, the, the way that the ballpark looks now, of all the changes that they've made, do you have a favorite? Um, I like Gallagher Way a lot. Uh, you know, people have derisively called the area Ricketsville in, 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 in sort of a bad way, a disparaging way. It's like, what was out there before? A leaky old donut shop, a broken down old car wash, uneven pavement. And now you've got a nice area where fans can go and gather before the games and uh, have a good time, throw a ball around with their kids or whatever. And despite the clamor, 
from the beginning when the Cubs talked about video boards, I think those are great too. And now those same people, if you said tomorrow you're taking the video boards away, they would be the ones who would scream the loudest. So I think it was all tastefully done. I think the video boards are uh, you know, a necessary thing to have in the 21st century and, and Gallagher way. Those are kind of my favorites. How'd you get David Ross to write the forward? Oh, Jesse had some pull, I guess. You know, Jesse is, uh, <laughs> he's a guy that can work a room and, you know, he's still on the beat. I'm not, but uh, Jesse and David was always good to the media from the time he got here in 2015. So uh, yeah, I'm going to credit Jesse with that one. Okay, and, and look, there's a whole section in this book that's about the managers that you guys have covered, and that's a big part of the history of the Cubs, too. I'm curious on when Joe Madden walks in, how did you know that, that things were going to change, or did you know that things were going to change? Yeah, I knew things were going to change, and going back a, a couple of months before that, or a couple of weeks when it was announced that Madden was not going to go back to Tampa, and when it was announced that he was not going to follow Andrew Friedman out to L.A., I said, either the Cubs are going to get him or they're going to die trying. Well, they got him, and I just think at his opening shot in the beer press conference at the Cubby Bear, with his sayings, the never in, let the pressure exceed the pleasure and things like that, that's all fine if you don't have a track record, but Joe had a track record in Tampa and working with a lower budget young team. He got them to the World Series. They didn't win it. But I just think that uh, you saw that the Cubs finally got their guy for this moment in time when their young players were ready to take that next step forward. And then his biggest job, I think, his biggest accomplishment in 15 was getting them to believe that they could overcome the Cardinals. When I think about his superpower, I think of his ability to understand and relate to people. When you watch Joe do his thing on the field or inside the clubhouse, what stood out about his approach? To me, it was that he was the same guy every single day. And I highlight this in the in the book where Joe gets a lot of criticism for how he handled the pitching in, in, in the World Series, especially in game six and seven with, you know, hen, pulling Hendricks and using Chapman as much as he did and bringing Lester in that situation. But, and, and I can't emphasize this enough, the Cubs were down three games to one in that series. The beat writers would get a little seance with Joe before every game, uh, aside from the group, so that we could ask our stuff and, you know, have something unique to the beat. And Joe in that office before the game was the same guy he was before the game in Mesa on March 15th or in Wrigley on April 15th or in the middle of summer somewhere in, in August. He was the same guy. He, and I think the team saw that Joe wasn't panicking, so they weren't going to panic. How do you think after winning the World Series, Cubs fans changed? I think that they got a little more restless. I think they got a little more critical of the team. I remember asking Anthony Rizzo in spring training, the first day of spring training in 17, the next year, do you think the Cubs will ever become not the lovable team anymore, but the team that everybody hates and is jealous of? And he said, I hope so. So, but it was kind of funny The the very next day after the parade in 16, I had somebody on my Facebook say, you know what they got to do? They got to go out and do this, this, that. And I'm like, they haven't even picked up the 
garbage in Grand Park. Will you please enjoy this? Do you know what happened the other night? So I, I think maybe it's a true story. And maybe they were spoiled or, or, or maybe, you know, you know, winning gets a little addictive there and they wanted it. But I think that they became a little bit like that. Oh, that's so great, Bruce. Like, you're so right, too, because the, uh, once I, it, for me, it was a few days later. Like everyone was into the celebration. But a few days later, it's like, well, let's start talking about the offseason and what Theo and Jed need to do to repeat. Yeah, and this hadn't happened in 108 years. You think that they would have, you know, opened a couple more bottles of champagne at least for another week and let it go for them. But no, man, they were right at it. So why should Cubs fans pick up this book? I think because, uh, first of all, Cubs history is so interesting. But Jesse and I take some different looks at things going beyond the obvious, wanting to know why Kerry Wood remained a phenomenon in this town from the day he struck out 20 until today. Kerry is and was one of the most popular Cubs and always will be, despite having injuries, despite maybe not living up to the hype of other people. Um, why the 1969 Cubs, who failed miserably down the stretch and give credit to the Mets too, why they remain to this day one of the most popular teams in Cubs history? And also putting into perspective other things like, you know, the, the, the big name managers and, and their place in Cubs history, Dusty Baker, Joe Madden, Lou Pinella are the three that I looked at. But just I think you want to uh, look at it because they say journalism is history's first rough draft. And that's what I did every day, chronicling the Cubs, saying what happened this day and to the best of my ability, saying why and what could happen. But now from a few years removed, looking back and say, you know, here's what I think. And history will show this. And uh, so I think that there's, for me, uh, selfishly, I think I was able to put some things in the historical perspective that maybe I wouldn't have been able to do while on the beat simply because I didn't have the luxury of time. So I, I think for me, that was the main motivation for writing this book. Okay, you saw it. Now, how does it look to you? Let me ask you this as, as we wrap this up. When you're growing up, and you're watching the Cubs, is two questions in one. I want to know who was your favorite Cub back then, and then I want to know who was your favorite Cub to cover? Those are very good questions. As a kid, uh, my two favorite were Ernie Banks and Billy Williams. Uh, Ernie, because he was the first Cub I got an autograph from in 1962, and I got to meet him at Wrigley Field. And Billy, because I was, I'm left-handed and Billy is a left-handed hitter. And I just love the way that he swung the bat and spit the piece of gum out and always hit it. So those two guys, uh, I, I think that um, growing up as a kid, and I grew up uh, one of those weird people that followed the Cubs and the White Sox. So, uh, you know, I've got my favorites on the other side of town too, but to have covered, there's so many good ones. Uh, I don't know if I can pick out just one, but Certainly guys like over the years, I got along with Kerry Wood very well. And that's not true of everybody in the media because Kerry could be uh, protective and he wanted his space. And I think that I gave him his space and we always respected each other for that. But just in, in over the years, Mark Grace giving the State of the Union when the Cubs were going bad just as well as when they were going good. Guys like... Um, Eric Young and Kevin Tappany and later day, uh, Chris Bryant, Jason Hayward, John Lester 
is a favorite, not necessarily the favorite, because as gruff as he is and was as a player, he had thoughts, man. You go up to him in a one-on-one interview and ask John about winning or setting an example. Man, he he could tell you for 10 minutes why. So way more good than bad, but all of those players and many, many more that uh, that I can say were favorites without naming a or the favorite. Bruce, this was a delight. I'm really happy that you had this opportunity. I, I love how you write and, and why you write. There's a real passion to it. So I'm glad that you and Jesse were able to hook up on this book. And I thank you for your time today. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Lawrence. It was a labor of love. I really enjoyed doing it. And who knows, maybe there'll be a volume two someday. I hope that is the case. I really, really do. Thanks a lot, Bruce. Thank you. So there's Bruce. Understated, always informed, incredibly nice. One of my favorites to talk to, no doubt about it. And he makes things very easy. Go get the book. It's called The Franchise, The Chicago Cubs, A Curated History of the North Siders. And it's by Bruce Miles, and it's by Jesse Rogers. So go check it out, okay? I hope you enjoyed that interview. I think maybe I'll have Bruce back because... There's more stuff that I can cover with him, but I wanted to kind of keep the focus on this book. Oh, by the way, David Ross wrote the foreword for the book. I know that's in the interview, but I wanted to remind you, if you hadn't picked up the book, that it's in there. Thanks again to our people at, at Edrington Spirits and specifically Noble Oak Whiskey. Go on their Instagram page, Noble Oak. Just look it up. I Just do me a favor. Just get one bottle, one bottle of whiskey. That's all I'm asking you to do. Gift it to someone and know that with that bottle that you buy, that Noble Oak is planting a tree, okay? But go get a bottle, and if it's not good, fine. But I promise you, you are going to enjoy it. Aight? Aight. I'm so happy that there's going to be more activity on House of L, and there's a couple other things that I'm going to start doing. Um, House of L has a YouTube page, and I, ha- I've, I got it, but I didn't really do anything with it. I'm going to start doing more stuff with it. Now, not a ton of stuff, just stuff here and there that I can throw up onto that website, and you can see what's going on, and you can watch what's going on. I got to... I got to figure out like backdrops and stuff, whether because I, I don't want to use I have my office set up specifically to do score stuff like I do when we're on Twitch. Like I have a big old seven foot background <laughs> for the score sit behind me in my office. And I do videos after Bears games if I'm at home and we're on Twitch, like all of that stuff. You do the branding with Hyundai and all that good stuff. I haven't built any of that for house of L like we have a, a, a emblem and everything, but I haven't done any of that stuff yet. I'm thinking I'm just going to do stuff in the kitchen. And that's what, that's where I used to do the, the, the recaps for the white Sox stuff and it went fine. And then where cap does all his, oh, he be on his, uh, maybe that's what I'll do. Maybe I'll do it from, from my patio or my porch. But there'll be more stuff. We're going to start doing a little bit more video stuff. And I would kind of like to 
marry some video stuff with the column that I write for the Sun-Times. That's kind of the idea that's in my head right now. So you can know where I'm coming from on some of the stuff that we don't get to on the show because that's usually how the column works. Like There's something that's on my mind that Dan and I either didn't flesh out fully or something that I would want to talk about that he doesn't necessarily want to talk about. And then you have to kind of balance that. Like we had something this week where he didn't really want to talk about the, the, the Bedard stuff and the Blackhawks getting the number one pick. I'm not saying that I did either, but it was one of those moments where had the producer said to me, we're going to do two segments on the Blackhawks, I would have been ready to do it. Dan didn't want to. I might. I might do something here on that because I think there's a lot to discuss, including, in, including like, for me, it was a huge news story. Like, my news brain, like, clicked on. I'm like, well, it's a news story. So therefore, we should talk about it. But I understood that it, it wasn't a fight that I was willing to have. Like, I didn't feel so strongly about it that I was like, no, Dan, we're talking about this whether you like it or not. But that might be something that I want to delve into later on um, on my terms, right? Like, because it's my pod and I, it's my pod and I can do what I want to. That was awful. Time to end the pod. Jeez. Exit stage left. Oh, also, I started watching this show on Apple TV Plus called Silo. You know I'm a big sci-fi fan? Check it out and tell me what you think about it. Because I'm digging it, yo. I appreciate you listening to this episode. Go get Bruce and Jesse's book, The Franchise. Chicago Cubs, a curated history of the Northsiders. Wherever it is, you go and get books, or if you order books online, you can find it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for all the support. Thanks for the really, really, really nice things that you said about me as I celebrated the 25th anniversary of working at The Score. Uh, It meant the world to me. Truly, truly did. I'll talk to you next time. Peace. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.